it's got to be the best era of Kansas City sports just in general ever at this point. Like, have I, I know that the Chiefs and the Royals have both won before, but never so closely to one another, right? Don't leave Sporting Kansas City out. Uh, yes, yes, uh, I shouldn't, because, yeah, that's, that's gaining in, in importance. Although, uh, to be perfectly honest, I have no idea if Sporting Kansas City is actually good or not. Uh, they didn't have a good year last year, but uh, traditionally a good team. They won the MLS Cup and the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Trophy in oh, no. recent years. And Lamar Hunt's connected to the Chiefs, too. Isn't, he, isn't that the family that owns them? He owned the Chiefs, and he was the original owner of the Kansas City Wizards I see. before they yeah. became Sporting Kansas City. Hmm. I see, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, my MLS knowledge is limited to the the – idea that I think the Chicago Fire are actually moving into Soldier Field for this coming MLS season. So being actual Chicagoans and not the South Suburban Chicago Fire that they were. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, the city is, I, I think, probably a little more excited about that because it brings them closer to where a lot of their audience is and obviously a much bigger stadium. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's my my, you know, admittedly limited knowledge of Kansas City sports is that the Royals had that long kind of dominant stretch from the late 70s through the mid 80s. Uh, the Chiefs won kind of early on in terms of like the history of Super Bowls, but had a long stretch where they weren't competitive. Yeah. And like they haven't synced up because the Royals are bad again. But this is still, as far as I know, like the closest that has had like this much sports closely packed together. Is, is that right? It's been it's been a great decade. Hmm. Nice. Yeah, for Kansas City sports. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I, yeah, I guess that's the best way to kind of ease us into the start of the podcast here. So I'll, I'll make it official and do the propers. Uh, so this is the Three Strikes You're Out podcast, part of the Outsports Podcast Network, the Outsports Baseball Podcast, episode number 14, the Ernie Banks episode, which is a pretty damn special one indeed. My name is Ken Schultz. I am a contributing writer to Outsports, Baseball Prospectus, and Cubs Den. The other voice you are hearing uh, this week on Three Strikes You're Out is one of my old comedy pals, Justin Williams, who you might glean from the context. Huge Kansas City Royals fan, Kansas City sports fan. Justin, to give you the bona fides, has been heard on Sirius XM and ComedyCentral.com. His new album is entitled Mostly Woke, and he can be found on Twitter at, at @JustinWComedy, and also in a first for the podcast in the 14 episodes that I've been doing this damn thing. Justin is the first college professor that we've also had as, as a guest on here, professor of African history at city college of New York. Did I get all of that right, Justin? Yes. All the good credits. Excellent. And uh, so does this podcast then officially give you tenure? Uh, yes. This, this is the last thing I'll send to the Dean. <laughs> and congratulations on that. It, uh, so, we are going to talk mostly Kansas City Royals and Kansas City sports since we're coming off of the best week of Kansas City football in probably, what, 40, 45 years at this point? Uh, 50, exactly. <laughs> wow. All right. The half century. And I, I got to say, in, in regards to that, before we uh, do the deep dive, that I think in the first quarter of the Super Bowl, Fox had that graphic comparing like this year's Super Bowl to the last time the Chiefs were in it 50 years ago. Uh and they mentioned that the halftime show of that particular Super Bowl, do you remember what it was? Uh, I'm guessing it was Betty Page, uh, like, emerging from a cake or something. <laughs> Not too far off. Carol Channing uh, yeah. was, was the headliner. 
And at that point, all I could think of was Carol Channing doing a cover of Hips Don't Lie. And honestly, from that point on, I didn't want to pay attention to the game because that, that's what I wanted to see. Carol Channing really angered a lot of people with her pro-Puerto Rican imagery. <laughs> <laughs> My God, yes. It, uh, the Nixon administration was scandalized. <laughs> if I could do an impression of either one at this point, I would. But, but that would just wreck the podcast. So uh, yeah, I, we'll, we'll hit the Kansas City topic right away. Uh, there's also a, a deep dive into baseball news that I want to do with you here. But uh, first and foremost, what was your experience, considering it's only five years apart, of watching the Chiefs win the Super Bowl versus the Royals winning the World Series in 2015? And uh, jumping off that as well, do you view this as kind of revenge for the 2014 World Series and what Madison Bumgarner did to the Royals that year? No, they, so they're, they're actually kind of similar stories because the teams, uh, you know, the Chiefs lost on the last play of the AFC Championship, right? The, you know, yeah. the, the Royals, when they lost to Madison Bumgarner, that was, you know, seven games with a runner like 90 feet away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, so that uh, so they're kind of similar in that way. I would say though the Chiefs felt a little bit more inevitable than the Royals <laughs> felt. Mm -hmm. Like I knew the Royals would like be back around the World Series, um, and then once we got back to the World Series, like okay, we're gonna get this. I had no I, like this year. I was like, if the Chiefs don't win the World Series, it's a failure. I almost like lost interest in the regular season. Mm. Oh, so I'm like wow. this roster is so good that it actually should have won the World Series last year. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, the, the Super Bowl last year. Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say. So if the Chiefs don't win the World Series, which they didn't, does that mean it actually is a failure that they didn't cross over and do the Bo Jackson? Well, Patrick Mahomes comes from good bloodline, so maybe. Yes, he does. You know, yeah, we maybe can help us in the bullpen <laughs> this year. Yeah, it, it, if, if nothing else, you rob the Detroit Tigers of a possible killer arm, and uh, for the division, that's that's got to be a good thing. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, my my recollection of uh, 2014 to 2015 with the Royals was, you know, it, they didn't have that obviously transcendent figure that Patrick Mahomes is for the Chiefs, but there was that sense of mission throughout the entire 2015 season that I remember them having that. That, uh, that they felt that because they got so close, and as you say, we're 90 feet away, and if Alex Gordon had somehow managed to turn that into an inside-the-park homer after it got past the Giants center fielder, that, that that was how close they were to, to t at least tying that and sending it into extra innings. And the entirety of 2015 was almost a sense of, we are not going to let that be the best, best night of, of this era of Kansas City baseball. And that was an entire season of, of baseball with a mission, almost, and that they weren't going to be denied in 2015. And and uh, and they ran through it. I want to say they they had what 95 or 96 regular season wins in 2015. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so it, it's rare that I've ever seen a baseball team that was obviously good and well put together, but not what I would consider a dominant team become almost dominant because of that sense of purpose. Like the, the cop in my mind, and it's, it's obviously coming from a, a Chicago perspective, but there was also a similar sense of purpose to the 2016 Cubs because they had made the playoffs in 2015 for the first time in almost a decade and were on the cusp of the World Series before getting swept by the Mets. But that sweep in 2015 guided them to and kept them focused on the prize for the entirety of 2016 to the tune of 103 victories and then the greatest postseason I've ever seen in my life. Um, do you feel that 
there was also, you, you mentioned that uh, almost ignoring this regular season with the Chiefs in football. Do you, do you feel that they felt a similar sense of purpose because of getting knocked out by the Patriots last year? That uh, Was there that vibe to the team when you did get a chance to see them? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Chris Jones, after the AFC Championship, just tweeted, we'll be back next year, mark my words. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was spot on. I mean, that's that's Joe Namath in it almost. Yeah, yeah. So it's like right after the AFC Championship game, and he's like, I told you, you know. Uh-huh, which is um, the best thing in sports when you get to say that, I told you so. It's almost like pro wrestling at that point. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's some similarities, right? But there's also some differences, right? Uh, I'd say the cool thing about the 2015 Royals, right, is that there isn't a dominant superstar on the right. team. Right. Which makes it really cool. It's like we've actually lived the double raise dream plan. <laughs> wow. Yeah. At, at this point, honestly, if you lived the double raise dream, you'd be playing in Montreal, I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah. No, we, yeah, that's what we did. We was like, we're gonna have just a group of twenty-four year olds with like two million dollar deals all click at the same time, you know, and we'll actually win, you know, win while we have them all on the roster. The Chiefs seems a little bit different, right? Because, you know, like it's like Ned Yost is kind of like this underdog, but like Andy Reid is somebody who is supposed to win a Super Bowl. He's gonna, mm-hmm. you know, he's a Hall of Fame coach, right? Yes. Um, and then you have some you have some real real star talent on that team, right? You know, you have like you know, so you have someone like Tyreek Hill, mm-hmm. uh, who's just amazing. You have Travis Kelsey, who's one of the best tight ends. He's gonna end up being one of the best tight ends ever, right? Like the the 2015 rows are interesting because you don't have any player that I would think you would say is one of the best ever. But they are all very, very good. We had we had a team full of 89s. Yes. And also you had the Royals kind of jumping out in front of the rest of baseball, too, in 2015, because they were one of the first teams that had that kind of killer bullpen arm after killer bullpen arm after killer bullpen arm setup with the law firm closing out those games in 2014 and 2015. And that really, I think, was what propelled them like a step above teams like the Rays and the A's because so many small market teams had kind of adopted that mindset of the gradual rebuild and, and getting all this big group of prospects to mature at the same time. But in, in at least in terms of the A's and the Rays, none of them had really jumped out so far ahead of the rest of baseball, the way the Royals were able to do, to do with that bullpen. And looking back on it, I think that that probably helped make a difference in terms of the Royals actually finishing the job, whereas the Rays and the A's were able to make the playoffs a lot, but never able to quite cross that finish line. And is there, in your mind, a sense of satisfaction that the Royals were able to not just figure out how to contend, but to actually finish the damn thing off like that? Yeah, it's actually, in a way, it's more satisfying because, you know, the window closes Right. You're like, there's no way we're going to be able to keep all of these guys. Um, football is just a little bit uh, it's a little bit different. Right. You just have the expectation that Patrick Mahomes is going to get a two hundred million dollar deal. And you're and it's disappointing if he only wins one Super Bowl. That's how talented right. that guy is. With the Royals, you're like, we actually pulled this off because <laughs> you know that 100 losses is coming back around. I mean, you've depleted, you've depleted your farm system to get like, you know, the, the last two or three pieces that you need to get over the hump, you know, you know, they really went all in. And I mean, I think that's why you're seeing the team be bad now because they went so all in to build that roster, you know, but that's, that's the way you got to do it too. You got to have that mindset, especially as you say, when the time limit 
is there and, and you see the end point coming, when you've got that window open, if you have the opportunity to run through it, I mean, yeah, you got to take every chance you can on that. And, and good on them, honestly, for recognizing that and bringing in a guy like Johnny Cueto. And, and just speaking from a pure baseball fan, I think it's great that Johnny Cueto, just in general, has a World Series ring because he's been one of the most fun pitchers to watch the past decade. And I'm glad that he was able to do it with the Royals. I think that's and when you've got, similarly, Ben Zobrist, you had the opportunity to get him. And speaking again from personal experience, there is no better choice to get than Ben Zobrist when you need a guy who does those things that push you over the top as yeah. the Cubs came out in 2016. Um, and so that brings me to another question to ask you regarding the Chiefs Royals comp that going into their respective championships, the Chiefs had the longer drought overall, as you say, 50 years versus the Royals, it was uh, 30 years from 85. Yeah. But to me, the Royals always felt more impossible because we've been taught for so many years and decades that baseball weights things so strongly against the small market teams. And because it had been um, almost three decades since the Royals had been competitive, let alone the fact that they were fighting for a World Series. I think the last time before 2014 that they were even competing for a division title was like 89. So which to you felt like more of a landmark because of those those two is is, is there a way to, to draw a difference and and to say that one might mean more because of that it, yeah it's just it's kind of two different narratives with the royals it's just like absolute irrelevance like i've sat through so many hundred lost seasons like i mean i can name just like manager like you mm. know everybody that was a part of those royals teams like never works again right like, <laughs> like after that it's like that was your last stop. i mean i mean just comical stuff like you know you get chuck knoblock and he's just like throwing the ball into the stands God, trying I'd to turn a double play yeah i'd forgotten knoblock was on the royals at the yeah end of oh that that part yeah the royals part of your career is like that was the last stop before you're like designated for assignment the, the uh, name brings to mind for me jose guillen is the one that uh was like you know one of those kind of classic early 2000 Royal signings that he'd had like a couple of good years with the pirates and then had been a long, been a mediocre player, but was still like the, a guy the Royals could point to and say, Hey, we signed a guy that is a name that you might've heard of. And then once he started his Royals career, he realized, yeah, this is, I mean, he's essentially retired, but he's still wearing a uniform. And, and yeah, that, that was, that was who they were for a good part of 30 years in the wilderness. Yeah, we got some good stuff out of Guy, and I'd say the, the most comical signing, I, I mean, and this is one that nobody will ever remember, we actually signed Juan Gonzalez. Oh, God, yes. Yeah, jeez. And he just, like, I just he just, like, hurt his hamstring. He missed a pitch, <laughs> hurt his hamstring, and then I think just retired. <laughs> and they have, like, a whole press conference about how Juan Gonzalez will do fine with our deep ballpark. <laughs> yep. Yeah, because yeah. that's what he's known for, defense, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Juan Gonzalez, wow. So he he goes in the record books as uh, one of the few Royals with more hamstring pulls than hits at this point? I think he maybe played seven games. Wow, that's that's amazing, man. Yeah, I, I can't even put I, – I know now that you mention it that, yeah, he was honored the Royals at some point, but I can't even put a year on that, let alone – I'm not even sure I could put a decade on it, to be honest. Yeah, out of all those losing teams, the only good, the only one, I will say there was some fun things to watch, right? If you sure. if you go back and look at like the 2000 Royals roster, where mm -hmm. it's like you have an emerging Mike Sweeney, you have Carlos Beltran, 
Um, you have Johnny Damon yeah. and Jermaine Dye. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. And then also Dean Palmer was at third base. Wow. Yeah, that's uh, so they, they, they actually had the best offense in baseball, but they had, I think, like, I think they just had, like, a seventh grader as their, like, <laughs> number one starter. Uh -huh. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a fun promotion that usually most teams do the kids run the bases. And for the Royals, yeah, okay, if you want to take them out on opening day, that's fine. That's, yeah. that's, uh, I, I think uh, the number two starter that year was Slugger, and the number three was Denny Matthews. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. So I mean, and but that's that's really, I mean, you talk about championships. Of course, are always you know the best possible thing in any sport. But when you're able to emerge from not just years but decades of that to then be the team in baseball that everybody envies for a year and everybody looks at and goes, that's how you do it. That that is a sense of accomplishment when you actually push through the tape at the end of that. Yeah, it's a different thing. Yeah, because when the when the baseball world is talking about Kansas City and not sort of uh, Boston, New York, uh, L.A., that means a lot more. Football, there's just more parity, right? It's like, yeah, yeah. The, yeah, like the Jets play in New York, but that's not like an advantage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I will say to that, though, again, going back to what I mentioned earlier, that even though, yeah, football does is definitely set up more that teams like Kansas City can have longer shots and longer runs. Uh, when, he, it, when it comes to droughts, the Royals still had the Chiefs beat by 20 years, which is yeah. kind of weird and random. Uh, yeah, but that was because of uh, the, the Lord. We had to suffer because uh, it was a different type of drought. Like the Chiefs have had the greatest, uh, I would say, 25 years of the greatest string of bizarre playoff losses. Mm-hmm. So it's not yeah, it's not even like complete irrelevance. It's like it's actually the team is uh, is like actually remarkably relevant over the last 25 years. But just like if if I could list off the things that happened, to you, like the Chiefs would find new ways to lose playoff games every year, and they became more and more absurd. Like uh, like we had a, a, an opposing quarterback fumbled to himself, picked it up, and ran it into the end zone. A quarterback threw a pass that hit someone in the helmet, and then he caught the pass and ran into the end zone to beat us. Oh, God. Um, we had Lynn Elliott miss three, like, 30-yard field goals. If he had missed – if he had made one of them, we would have won the game. He missed all three. Um, oh, what is another good one? Oh, when we played against Peyton Manning, uh, the no-punt game. Every mm. offense scored on every drive, and we couldn't make one defensive stop. Ugh. God, yeah. Yeah, that, that – and, and the fact that you're able to list these all right off the top of your head, yeah, that, um, that ingrains itself after a while. I mean, I mean, even when we lost the, the AFC championship game, we actually won the game uh, with an interception, except for D Ford was lined up offside. So they called it <laughs> back. The next play, Tom Brady scores a touchdown to win the oh. game. Oh, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a lot to, to, of trauma to work through. And uh, yeah, as I say, I, I am very familiar with with that feeling that, uh, yeah, ball through Durham's legs. Will Clark hits 700, uh, then the Bartman game, and then the back-to-back -back division titles, and not winning a single game in the division series either year. So yeah, yeah, I uh, yeah I, I know about uh, yeah trauma that I can list off the top of my head too. And, but that again, once you get there, it's like that changes the narrative completely from when you're actually in seeing that happen year after year. You, you start you, not even believing in curses, but it just 
you, you notice the pattern. It's like, are we ever going to have like experiencing happiness even? Like, is that possible? And then when you finally get through and break through the tape and win the championship, you look back and all that and go, well, yeah, that's what we had to live through to make this even sweeter now. And it's such a better feeling when you actually get to that point. Yeah, I think you yeah, you can relate to this absolutely as a Cubs fan. This is why I never envy uh, people that like live in dynasty. Like, what is winning a Super Bowl like? What did last year's Super Bowl mean to the Patriots fans? Yes. Yeah, yeah it, it was the most boring of the Patriots Super Bowl victories. And other than that, it, it's yeah, there's no reason to remember it. Yeah, like uh, yeah, the 2015 Royals is you know that kind of stuff, or you know. Even last year's Chiefs, like, there's nothing going to top that. Because I'm already thinking ahead now. I'm already thinking, like, of the next Pat Mahomes Super Bowl and how much less it's going to mean. Right. Like, I'll still be super happy, but it's not going to be, like, the breakthrough moment, you know. Yeah. But that that's also, in a way, that's good because, like, that level of happiness should really only happen once in a lifetime. That. If, in, in a weird way, if, if you kept hitting like that level of happiness because of a sports feat, like it would diminish the specialness of it somehow to me. So, yeah, you sh it, sports are always important in the present day and you're always chasing that feeling. But, yeah, there, there sh you should be able to set aside like that that first time as this, the really special moment and. And just be able to kind of have that sense memory of looking back and going, yeah, I'm so glad I got to experience that. And even though I'll, I'll never experience it again, it, it's still a special thing that I'm able to kind of still call up in my mind. And and I think there's there's something uh, to that, honestly, in terms of just this is a very satisfying way to experience sports to me. Well, did you? Yeah, for Cubs fans, uh, I don't know if you know this. My wife's family is actually Cubs fans. Uh, they're from they're they're from uh, Naperville, Illinois. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Um, so that that yeah, for you guys, I mean, that's even different. You know, I can't complain about a 50 year streak, or even uh, I can't complain even about the 30 years for the Royals. Like Cubs fans and Red Sox fans. Yeah. Yeah. When you, anytime you get, get around a century. <laughs> yeah, that that's that's when it's the difference between. This has been a really frustrating generation versus you have multiple generations of people going, am I ever going to see anything that makes me happy? And to to get to that point where you realize, yeah, you made it like the one of the most special parts of winning in 2016 and winning in game seven after, you know, I was crumpled in the fetal position, sobbing my eyes out for five minutes uh, right afterwards that when the championship ceremony started in the locker room, I got to call my dad. And we got to just watch it together on the phone and just realize that we are sharing something that neither of us thought for decades would ever happen that we get to share together. And, and yeah, that I, I don't I can't imagine anything being similar to that, that in terms of just the specialness of that moment. Yeah, the, the Cubs ran actually this really uh, amazingly touching ad that actually made me cry. Uh, it was the the old man. Uh, standing on the grave of his father with a radio. Yeah. Like, Dad, we did it. And it's just like, ah, oh, Jesus Christ. You know? Yeah. So, yeah, I was really happy for, I was really happy for the Cubs fans. Yeah, you know, you know, it's like, you know, like my grandfather-in-law is a lifelong Cubs fan. And he's like, well, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm 90. I'm <laughs> yep. just glad that I got to see it, you know. <laughs> It's like it's like what we were talking about earlier with uh, the Royals in t the 2014 and 2015 series. That part of part of that was you saw the end of the window approaching. And in terms of Cub fans, it's like yeah, you also see the end of the window approaching, but it's the end of the window of your life 
approaching and you wanted to get and that that's what made it so important and so special so we're going to jump for a second off of the royals we'll come back to them uh in like five minutes or so but uh since you mentioned the red sox earlier there's been a bit of baseball news yesterday that i definitely wanted to discuss on a baseball podcast because uh have you been following the mookie bets to the dodgers trade uh that went down last night yeah i i heard that david price was part of the deal as well yeah david price and bets to the dodgers uh, for Alex Verdugo and a prospect from the Twins who got roped into this. Um, and first of all, uh, I love the fact that the Red Sox announced it during the State of the Union address, because that is the most like Red Sox ownership thing of, we know we've been planning this terrible thing for our fans, so we're going to try to sneak it in while everybody is concentrating on literally the worst other thing possible going on in the world right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I- I'm honestly surprised that they didn't figure out a way for like when Trump gave the Medal of Honor to Rush Limbaugh to have Limbaugh then announce that Mookie Betts was going to the Dodgers just to make this shit sandwich utterly perfect for everybody that night. Um, But uh, so my question to you uh, from a perspective of a Kansas City Royals fan who has kind of adapted to what baseball has told you is the small market mindset of what you know your team does where you develop prospects and you realize at some point you're going to have to eventually part ways with like the Eric Hosmers and the Mike Moustakasai of the world. Uh, is there some element seeing what's happening with the Red Sox trading bets that you look at that and go, okay, so yeah, now you know how it feels. Yeah. I mean, it, uh, to me, it's all like looking at, it's like looking at a luxury shopping mall. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's all things that don't concern uh, my team yeah. and will never concern my team. Like, me, you know what the free agent news is for the Kansas City Royals? Mm-hmm. Uh, like, a guy that had a good season in 2014, like, but <laughs> but had his arm, like, removed in a car accident. We have signed him to a minor league deal mm-hmm. with incentives to try to see if he can make our bullpen. <laughs> so anytime I see, like, these, like, huge mega deals... You know, uh, but yeah, yeah. So uh, is this the Red Sox obviously just trying to cut payroll? Yes. Yeah. Red Sox are very transparently trying to get under the luxury tax threshold to try to reset their penalties going forward, uh, which are all the, the, the very fact that we're bringing in terms like luxury tax and luxury tax penalty into a baseball discussion is the most depressing thing since the last Cure album. But Again, yeah. the, the Royals' payroll is uh, roughly, I think, uh, I think it's forty-seven dollars, I believe, this year. <laughs> and, and I think, and I think, forty-five of it is going to like Ian Kennedy. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, I've got to finish up that contract. But, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, the Red Sox have been telegraphing this since the offseason. Actually, probably even before the offseason, because Betts is a free agent after this year, and for some reason. They made the decision of Mookie Betts is going to be hitting for agency. He's just decided he's going to play out this contract and see what the open market brings him. And for some reason, the Red Sox have decided that they're unable to sign one of their own players when they hit free agency because reasons. Uh, (laughs) As far as I know, it's still possible for a team to sign their own player even after they hit free agency. You can Check with Steven Strasburg, just off the top of my head. Uh, but I, I, I look at this trade that, that they made, and it, it, as, it, as you surmise, it's clearly a salary dump. But it's also the kind of trade we're talking about in Mookie Betts. 
a transcendent talent of this generation of players. Like there's Mike Trout, who's obviously the best. And then you can make a pretty solid argument that Betts is the number two right behind him. And the best you can do in return is Alex Verdugo because you want to unload David Price's salary too. And to me, like that's the kind of trade that should get you fired as a general manager. That if, if that is the return you're getting for the number two best player in baseball, and that's the best you can do, why are you even in the general manager's game at that point? Like, what are you doing running a team? You're you're not going to get in any way a, a good return for Mookie Betts, but like that's an especially horrific return to me. Yeah, it seems like they could have traded for a like. Yeah, it seems like yeah, Minnesota could have given you something better for that. Yeah, right now. absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, it's just uh, uh, it's funny stuff to see. I just I just hope that like the Dodgers somehow still don't win the World Series. <laughs> like yeah. you just look back at the names on those rosters mm-hmm. these last few years. Oh yeah, it's amazing, and and uh, and they're almost the consensus best regular season team in baseball from year to year, ever since 2017, like they're, they're accustomed to winning like a hundred, five hundred, six games a year. But, but yeah, they've, they've got that thing now once the playoffs hits. And unfortunately the, the narrative is it all seems to center around poor Clayton Kershaw uh, that, yeah, once the lights go on in October, they find a way to not get it done somehow. And that's, I, I definitely understand the frustration. And, and honestly, in the current climate of baseball, it's just nice to, t- to see a team that understands that it's frustrating year after year to get that close and not do it. So they want to go for it with everything they've got. It, it so runs counter to what the Red Sox and what the Cubs are doing in this offseason right now that I kind of, in a perverse way, admire the Dodgers. But yeah, as you say, it is, it is uh, definitely going to be an, a better story if they keep making these incredible offseason moves and still can't find a way to do what the Royals did five years ago. Yeah, I mean, it's just like they had Kershaw and Grinky. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. man, it's really hard to lose a series with that, you know? I mean, right. And now you've got <laughs> Kershaw and Walker Bueller, who's one of the best young arms in the game and throws routinely in the upper 90s for six and seven innings. And yeah, they, they still can't figure it out somehow. Uh, but yeah, that that uh, that is that is their particular problem with their particular brand of blue. So to to go back, uh, tie it back into the Kansas City focus that we started on. Uh, So we're heading into spring training next week. And I just kind of want to know emotionally wise for you, like, what does it feel at this point for you as a fan to go from this historic Super Bowl championship to now emotionally committing to a team that is still very much in the middle of a rebuild and has lost 100 games in back to back years and might well do it again this year? Like, where, where are you emotionally in terms of switching from Chiefs to Royals at this point? Uh, I think, I mean, the team, the, the Royals team is actually uh, kind of interesting in the way that there's actually a lot of talent there, especially offensive talent. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know, Solaire led the league in home runs. <laughs> you know, people forget you're that. Welcome. You're welcome. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, that was a, a good piece for that trade. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, uh, I mean, uh, Mondesi could be one of the best players in baseball, you know. He's got the job. Um, I mean, there's there's good talent on the team. It's just like how consistent are they going to be? Uh, we have great outfit field defense. It's just like, are they going to all hit 215? Mm-hmm. That's kind of the the, the thing. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah. People forget how good. I mean, Whit Merrifield has led the you know the you know the league in hits what the last two years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would uh, you 
to have seen them trade Merrifield at the deadline last year, since that was one of the big rumors as part of their big rebuild? Or do you feel that he can still be uh, a good player whenever they become competitive again? Well, he's like 29, right? Sounds right, yeah. He's, he's just pushing 30 at this point, I think. Yeah, yeah, he's either like 29 or 30. So, I mean, I think he's got a little bit of time. I mean, if the Royals could just actually – the thing last year was like this team offensively is explosive enough to where it's just like they just don't have any pitching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so if they can kind of get some pitching together, uh, I think their idea is we're going to like give these guys another round of experience – which I would have liked it if they would just like sign. I'm just like two good arms to just, right. just like two good arms to where we could kind of push some people and then, you know, move some people to the bullpen if we have to. So I don't know. They're kind of a question mark to me. I don't think they're going to be a, like an absolute disaster uh, necessarily. I could see them as a team that gets hot and plays uh, pretty well, but I just, the pitching's just not there, you know, right, like, right. You, yeah, you just know, you know, you know what this team's not going to do. Yeah. And with their, their last great team, as, as we talked about at the beginning, they figured out kind of a workaround uh, without dominant starting pitching because they were one of the first with that killer bullpen. And now that the rest of baseball has caught up to the idea of bullpenning, it's kind of like, can they figure out another workaround starting pitching at this point? Is, is there a way to get around that? Is, has Dayton Moore ever hinted that he's going to try to, to find a new workaround? Or are they going to try to, I guess adapt more to a conventional starting pitching setup the way the rest of baseball has? Uh, you know, I don't know. They're keeping the guy. I mean, you know, they're just, they're really staying pat, right? It's like Jacob Junis, yeah. right? Brad mm-hmm. Keller, uh, Danny Duffy. Yeah. Uh, and then I feel like maybe the fourth spot might be kind of a, you know, fourth spot or, or a fifth spot might be kind of up in the air. And it's like, those guys are like, okay, but you really need like another, I would like a little, I would like a, a more, some, some more sure things in there. Uh, but all they've done is sign uh, rehab projects for the bullpen. Like mm-hmm. we just, like we just got Greg Holland back. Oh my. Yes. Yeah. It's exciting to see him again, if nothing else. But yeah, he's, he is a shell of himself at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things that, uh, it'd be interesting though. It's interesting to watch. They're like young. Uh, there's like prospects that have taken way too long to make it that are on the roster. Like it's like Bubba Starling is like kind of finally come up. I, I remember when they drafted Bubba Starling, that was supposed to be King Griffey Jr. <laughs> that was supposed to be the guy that was going to, that was like, wow, he chose not to play football. Like what a steal. The Royals have got this transcendent talent. And uh, he finally got called up to the major leagues. He remember drafted out of high school was supposed to be in the majors in maybe three years. He uh, he made it to the majors at 29. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like uh, so. Uh, you know, plays great defense, amazing athlete, but could be a 195 hitter. Yeah. Uh, now with with the last group that did make it with the Royals, when you've got uh, a core formed by guys like Alex Gordon, who also took a long time to really develop into a, a star level, uh, star caliber player, uh, does that kind of give you a sense of? I'm willing to wait and see if there's something with Starling here because Gordon paid off so well eventually. It's a little bit different because Gordon was so talented. You could put him anywhere. People forget he was supposed to, he was supposed to be our third baseman. Right. He was supposed yeah. to be the next George Brett. Yeah. He's supposed to be the next George Brett. He also had very high expectations. Uh, but the fact that he was so talented, he could just go and then be the best left fielder in baseball was like an amazing transition for him uh yeah. i don't think really starling, be- starling i don't think has like the 
it was never expected to be that level of hitter. He was always like, well, if this guy could hit consistently, he'd be really good. Yeah. And everybody knew Alex Gordon was going to be able to hit. You know, hmm. we just signed him back, by the way. Yes. Yeah. I mean, Alex Gordon is him and Salvi are like the last two connections to the championship era, right? So, I mean, yeah, just we, we didn't have Salvador Perez all last year. That's another thing right. people forget. So that's good for a lot of wins, right? Oh yeah. That, takes a lot of base runners away and a lot of uh, a lot of home runs and clutch hitting mm-hmm. yeah and uh i think defensively the metrics are never kind to him but he always seems to actually when he's on the field do better than the metrics say he does so that helps i think uh I, yeah i don't i i never understood the metrics the way they evaluate him i'm like I, to me he, he was like it was always him and like molina as like the best catchers you know right Catching defensive metrics, especially now, because we're able to measure how much catcher framing comes into play, uh, they're weight like almost absurdly heavily on catchers that are able to frame strikes better than others. So if you're able to have that particular skill, no matter what else you do as a catcher, it seems like you're considered a top-notch defender. Like the Cubs have uh, Wilson Contreras, who has a great arm and is really good at blocking pitches in the dirt, but is at to this point anyway, has been at best a mediocre framer. And he's viewed as a defensive liability just because he doesn't have that one skill. And I'd venture to say, I I haven't looked closely at at Salvi's numbers, but I would have to estimate because he's also got like legit catcher skills in other areas that I I would imagine he's getting dinged for framing in a similar way. And it's, it's just that, that, that thing, like as soon as robot umpires take over the game, we have electronic strike zones like that entire skill is going to go away and Wilson Contreras is going to be one of the best catchers overall in the game by every metric. Uh, I don't know if Salvi would be too old at that point, but it it would be my guess that, that he might benefit as well from that kind of thing. Yeah. It's gotta be framing because I don't know too many uh, managers that are like, yeah, let's go run on Salvador Perez. Right. Right. And that's, that's a legit, still a legit skill to have. You can shut down a running game. That's still huge even though running isn't as big in baseball as it used to be. But if you can completely cut that off, I mean, that that's a weapon that, uh, that, that you neutralized, essentially. Let me ask you this. Um, after two consecutive 100 lost seasons, does Dayton Moore still get the benefit of the doubt? I think, you know, I think so, because I would imagine that he has constraints based on you. I mean, the, the Royals are going through an ownership transition, so I don't know what the new philosophy of the new ownership group is. I've heard more about them trying to move the Royals downtown than I've heard about their vision for the roster. Yeah, and to which I say, no, no, fuck no, please no. Absolutely, it's a, it's a, it's a dumb idea. I mean, it's a, it's like a smart money idea, but it's a dumb yeah. in every other way idea. Yeah, I mean, you, you're the one team that got the '70s ballpark right in terms of Kauffman Stadium. And it's also the one ballpark I can think of that's in the middle of nowhere and is still beautiful. And I just don't want to lose that as a baseball fan. I've only been once, but it was such a I, – I was so taken by how just well done everything in that park is and, and how unique it is because it, it you do have that, that 70s concrete vibe, but it's still somehow beautiful because you add in the fountains and the crown scoreboard – and it, it just seemed it's so green, too, as a ballpark. Uh, and I, I think, you know, it's, it's important to hang on to that just as important to hang on to, you know, Wrigley and Fenway as examples of the turn of the 20th century ballpark vibe. And if, if we lost that, I'd, I'd, I'd be upset, honestly. 
Yeah, and taxpayers should be upset. They voted yeah. to upgrade those things like in the yeah, like 2012 <laughs> or something. Yeah. Yeah, but that's yeah the way of all sports that you know the Braves decide that their their ballpark is too old after 19 years. It's ugh. but yeah, um, so uh, kind of jumping off of the uh, Dayton Moore topic. Uh, similarly, uh, I'm just going to ask you this, Mike Matheny, why? You know, I uh, so I don't watch National League baseball, but uh, a lot of feedback from the other side of the state about that particular. Yeah. Everyone yeah. saw that coming, though. When he was brought in as, like, special coach or special advisor, everyone knew that he was going to be kind of groomed for as Ned Yost's replacement. Um, so, I don't know. Yeah, what, what, yeah what's the rap, the rap on him? They say he can't manage a bullpen. Oh, there's a lot of raps on him, yeah. that uh, our, our friend Kevin McCaffrey, uh, yeah. had, he came up with, with the term uh, managing below replacement level to describe Mike Matheny. Because, <laughs> yeah, when he was on the Cardinals, like – that was especially when Joe Madden was managing the Cubs. The the difference between the two of them was such a huge advantage that that finally was on the Cubs side for a couple of years and felt so good. And you saw like once the Cardinals made the change from Matheny to Mike Schilt, who's just a guy. Like there's nothing special about him at all. But like as soon as they got rid of Matheny, you saw like oh there's actual still legit talent and they won a division last year because of it. But Matheny. There are so many things he does. He he doesn't understand reverse splits out of a bullpen, for one thing. Like, he just assumes left-handers should be able to get left-handers out, even if st statistically, if you throw numbers in his face that show, no, this guy does not get left-handers out, he ignores it completely. Like, there was, uh, do you remember, have you ever seen the famous clip from the 2015 playoffs when the Cubs played the Cardinals, where Kyle Schwarber just annihilated a baseball that landed on the Jumbotron? In right yeah, field. yeah, yeah. That was a pitcher named Kevin Segrist that the Cardinals had, who was a left-hander who specialized in reverse splits. He was a left-hander who was only effective at getting out right-handed hitters. But Matheny, the entire series, called on Segrist every time he had to face Schwarber or Anthony Rizzo, and they destroyed him at, at key moments every time. And that—that's the Matheny is stuck in this kind of old-school mindset and mentality of this is the way that was taught to me the first year I was in the game. And so it's got to be right from here on out. And, and he traffics in old school bullshit, uh, like toward the end of his time at the Cardinals. Uh, do you know the, uh, the closer Jordan Hicks, the guy that throws one Oh five with St. Louis. Yeah. 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 So he was a young player. Uh, he might've been a rookie in Matheny's last year. And Matheny ran his team such that uh, there was like this, old hard scrabble bullpen veteran named Bud Norris, who'd been around for, I want to say like a decade at least. And he was kind of like the guy Matheny anointed as like the captain of the bullpen. Like Bud Norris is a piece of shit. Like he's a MAGA Trump supporter. He's kind of racist in general, I think just, just <laughs> not a good guy. and uh, Bud Norris kind of made it his thing that year. And, and the athletic, I think exposed this like, Bud Norris ran that bullpen by just bullying Jordan Hicks like the entire year. The, the, like the stereotype that you, you've heard about baseball, like the rookie comes up and then the, all the veterans in the team just gang up and try to make his life miserable, as miserable as possible as some kind of bullshit breaking in process. And Matheny encourages that. That's his thing. Uh, and also uh, just coming from an outsports standpoint, Matheny is also one of those super Christians who thinks it's dangerous to express Christianity in today's climate. So I don't think he's a big fan of Pride, Day, Pride Nights at the ballpark either. So there, there's also that. So, so that's your new manager. 
Justin Williams. Uh, so how do you feel about that? Well, well yeah, politics uh, 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 aside, uh, I've, uh, you know, I'll reserve judgment until I see a mess up in a Royals uniform, because I remember there was actually a lot of criticism of Ned Yost uh, when we took him from Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And, and he ended up being kind of the right like, level of detached for mm-hmm. this young group of kids. He had kind of like a Zen thing. You know, I don't know. You know, uh, the things don't sound, uh, the, the things that you mentioned don't sound great. And Cardinals fans were laughing at me in my newsfeed. <laughs> so, uh, you know, but may, hopefully he learned from his mistakes. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think it's funny that, uh, yeah, the, the whole, like, you th- people think it's dangerous to express Christianity. It's like, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of over Christianity. I mean, did they watch the Super Bowl? <laughs> you think, yeah. It's, yeah. uh, uh, yeah, and it's, it's never a good thing when St. Louis Cardinal fans make fun of you because, I mean, you know as well as I do, it should always be the other way around, for God's sake. St. Louis Cardinals fans are unpleasant um, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I've, been, I've, been to, I've been to Cardinals games. A lot of interleague, a lot of Royals, Cardinals fans. Yeah. The, there are there are kind of Yankees. That's what people don't realize about them. Right. They're so accustomed to winning, but then they're also like a, a 100% white flight fan base. <laughs> Which actually makes them uh, uh, like even more intolerable. Yes. Yeah. Do you follow the uh, Twitter account at Best Fan St. Louis? Uh, uh, well, this came out of like Ferguson, right? This is like when this. Uh, it like, got popularized out of Ferguson. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. This guy, for those who are listening who don't know, it, it, this guy is one of the Twitter saints out there. Like, I cannot recommend this account enough because the job of Best Fan St. Louis is that it's just an aggregator, and he finds and retweets Cardinal fans every time they're racist, homophobic, uh, or if they misspell the name of their own ballpark, or if they just fall into that kind of best fans in baseball, buy into their own hype bullshit. Uh, it, it is just a joy when that turns up in my timeline at some point. And uh, yeah, can't recommend it enough. Yeah, uh, I've seen a lot of things from that. Um, all of it's true. Cardinals fans, it's it's just a, if you know St. Louis, then you get why Cardinals fans are bad. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, that's the best point, I think, to to end the podcast on is just an agreement that, yeah, Cardinal fans are bad. And that's that's the thing that brings Cubs and Royals fans together, my friend. Absolutely. <laughs> Dr. Williams, uh, anything you'd like to plug? Well, I got you still here. Please go to my website, justinwilliamscomedy.com. If you send me an email, I'll come to your house. Excellent. And I can think of no better house guest than Justin Williams, friends. Uh, Can't recommend it enough. Justin Williams, Kansas City, we have gotten the party started. Thanks for joining me today, my friend. Oh, good talking to you, kid. Good to talk to you as well. 